0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Drone Source, sponsored by Elsite. I'm Ben Gross, and I'd like to thank you for joining me and welcome you to our podcast. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Drone Source. Today with me is Jan Kritze, founder and CEO of Arda. Arda is a drone agnostic software platform that enables conventional delivery operators to easily adapt drone delivery. Arda is now starting work on its first contracts in West Africa in the healthcare delivery space and looking to expand to Nigeria and Kenya later this year. Jan founded ARDA with his co-founder, Shab Malde, and both went full-time in June 2022 after completing the Harvard Innovation Lab's Startup Incubator Program. Jan is Polish-American, born and raised in Poland, and went to the U.S. to start university at Harvard. Jan's mission with ARDA is to spark the mass adoption of drone delivery by revolutionizing how drone delivery operations are deployed. Beyond ARDA, Jan is interested in the future of mobility and venture capital investments in this field. Hi, Jan. How are you?
1: Hi, I'm doing all right.
0: Thank you. Great. So love the intro. Now let's, you know, why don't you tell me a little bit more about yourself and tell me more about Arda.
1: Yeah, sure. So they're very closely linked, as you can imagine. So I've been building and flying drones for eight years now. So I've got commercial drone pilot license in Europe, in Poland to be specific. And it's sort of my bread and butter of what I've been doing for the last few years. And what was fascinating for me uh, a few years back which is when I also founded Arda a year ago. Was you know drone technology is amazing, right? Like for you as a guy who's also in the sector, I'm sure you can see it. The technology that's being developed its capabilities are super impressive. Like you know if you show it to your grandma or a friend who's not in the industry, they go like wow, that that stuff is possible, that that stuff exists. But at the same time, um, you don't see a lot of it in day-to-day life, really. I don't know. Maybe, maybe for where you live, it's different. But in the U.S. or in uh, Poland, not really. Um, I don't think I saw a commercial drone delivery happen live until this year, actually, um, in Europe. And I thought, right, there, there's clearly this interesting gap here where you've got technology that's clearly capable of doing something that would be very useful, whether that's a delivery or an inspection. But you're not seeing it adopted by the commercial players in this field. Like I haven't seen the DHL drone delivery or in Poland, the biggest delivery companies in post or the US UPS. I haven't seen any of them using drone delivery in practice. Well, why could that be? And I sort of dug into, you know, these companies like Zipline, Swoop Arrows and Windcopters, and they all have amazing tech, but again, it's maybe apart from Zipline, but it's really not used that huge scale. And that's not in any way to put them down, but it's just sort of an observation I had. And I thought, well, why could that be? And I realized that the way that you know, so drone delivery models operate now is super different to logistics in the sense of you know, cars, trucks, motorcycles. In other words, you've got these companies who are either selling the vehicle and nothing sort of more than that, which would be great if people knew how to use the vehicle, but that's not the case with drones, or they're selling the end-to-end service. But again, there's a bit of a problem, right? If, if you could just sell them end-to-end service and logistics and that's how it's done, you know, why couldn't me and you have a big delivery company by outsourcing everything to FedEx and DHL? We put those two together. It's the biggest company in the world. Right. And I thought, you know, why, why not start something that would enable someone who's already running deliveries to enable them to do drone delivery and scale it themselves using their own drones. And that's sort of the genesis of Ida, as well as a bit of background on myself. Um, so, yeah, big drone guy. <laughs>
0: And tell me about Arda. Tell me about you know how the company got started. How you and Shub got together, decided to you know get this thing off the ground. Tell me a little bit more about that.
1: So uh, two years ago, almost now in 2021, so sort of middle of the pandemic, um, we came up with this idea and we thought, right, okay, we want to do drone deliveries. We want to see if the sort of operating model is what's proving to be the bottleneck to the scaling. Where where can we test this and um, the obvious answer after calling the Polish Civil Aviation Department was not in the European Union, and then um, U.S. Um, again, it's also pretty tricky to get B.V. loss waivers; pretty expensive as well. So we thought, right, we have to go somewhere where the impact's going to be so high that whoever's in charge of permitting this would be more than happy to allow us to do a sort of little training or demo program, um, simply because the upside is far bigger than you risk that you know flying a 10-pound drone may carry. So we found this place called Gambia, uh, which is in West Africa. Very interesting country. If you've got time, pull up a map of it. It's split in half by a river into north and south. And there's one bridge that divides, uh, sorry, one river that divides the country that has one bridge across it. And that bridge is around 150 kilometers from the capital city. And I looked at that on the map when Shub, whose family has a lot of business there, going back a few generations, showed me that map. I was like, wow, if there's a place with last mile delivery problems that drones could solve, it's right here in front of me. So we decided to, you know, we'd reach out to a few doctors, see if on Facebook, pretty much, see if they're actually interested in, and go there and, and try and give them a demo and train them how to use drones. At that time, we still thought it was the fact that people weren't aware drones were useful. That was the reason they weren't being adopted. And we went in there to Gambia and, you know, we did a few demos of a sort of small VTOL drone we built. And we showed it to some doctors, some nurses, people in the logistics field, and within a few weeks, we got all the way to the Minister of Health, and the overwhelming sort of feeling was, right, you guys have sold us on drone delivery. This is awesome. Like, you don't need to explain to me why flying across a river in twelve minutes is going to be faster than like driving four hundred kilometers in a circle. Like, you've got a sold on that. But what do you want us to do about it? Like, if we just buy this drone from you, we still don't really know how to use it. And if the guy who knows how to use it gets sick, and you know, it's a bit of a problem. And if we get you guys to do it, well, you guys are probably going to want salaries comparable to whatever you'd be making back home. And, you know, we don't have the sort of funds for that, especially not at scale. And that's when we sort of had this idea of, right, what Arda has to do is figure out how to get these people who are already doing deliveries and have it all figured out, except the drones, how to allow them to use drones. So that's sort of how we got started in Gambia and how we got to the stage where we figured out, right, it's not about the drone at this point, it's not about the operating and delivery. It's about letting these people use a drone to do what they already know how to do pretty well.
0: What is Arda's position in all of this? Is Arda showing people how to use the existing tools? Is Arda have their own drones, which they're using to affect the last mile deliveries on themselves? Is Arda sort of located above everything with fingers in every pie, making everything work? What's the positioning here?
1: We like to think of ourselves as an infrastructure platform. And what that means in practice, if we were just to break it down, um, we enable an existing delivery operator to purchase drones compatible with our platform. And there's a bunch of those because we did it in as much of a hardware agnostic way as we can. And through our sort of suite of apps, it allows their organization, uh, we're now focused on enterprise, not direct to consumer deliveries allows the organization to set up a bunch of delivery points, distribution points for those drones, give the right people in the organization permissions to request them, to launch them. And our app simplifies a lot of those processes. So um, for the non-drone experts out there, a big part of the drone operations, you know, stuff like mission planning, making sure you're compliant with regulations, making sure that the mission you've planned is actually compatible with a given drone model, because it's not all that well-documented nowadays, unfortunately. And our app and our software suite automates a bunch of that, Make sure it's regulatory compliant, and it allows the person who's, let's say, the end user to pretty much just click a few buttons and have a drone fly to wherever it needs to fly based on a request that has received with whatever they've put inside it. So we make all of that super simple.
0: What are the drones that are being used at the moment by the end users in Gambia? You said they're producing drones that are compatible with your platform. What drones are we talking about?
1: So right now we're using some white labels from OEMs to China, actually um, for the project in the Gambia, but we've also tested it with a bunch of other drones, a few manufactured in Europe. And the main idea is that we're as agnostic that as possible. They're sort of big vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. They fall into the under 25 kg slash 55 pound category. Um, you're looking at roughly a hundred kilometer range um, total with uh, two kg payload. So in the Gambia, Uh, We're starting our contracts now. They're going to be using that to make max 40-kilometer one-way deliveries of 2-kilogram, which is around 5-pound payloads.
0: A question about logistics. I've had uh, Madison from Swoop Arrow. She's doing a lot of work in Africa also. I had her on the podcast. She said one of the main issues they're dealing with is the question of logistics. Sometimes there's not enough fuel. Sometimes there's just not enough available to charge the drones, to get them off the ground. I mean, even for her to join the podcast, she had to travel for a couple hours to find a place that had decent internet. So we can uh, we can agree that the logistics in Africa is a bit of a challenge. And how is Arda and how are your end users facing that challenge? How are the drones standing up
1: to it? Mm-hmm. So I think varies country to country a lot, you know, for example, a place like Rwanda has amazing cellular coverage and another country, I don't know, Niger, maybe, may, may not. So in Gambia, these problems, especially in the more inhabited regions, uh, for example, the cellular connection, aren't that big of a problem. Uh, The main problems there um, I'd say are making sure that the drones are being used responsibly. So, you know, did they see this as a great tool and they will be seeing this as a great enabler And it'll be, you know, they'll be asking, right, can we put a slightly bigger payload or, you know, can we maybe go over the two kilogram limit of it? So I think the main challenge is going to be that, you know, the demand is really a lot bigger than the supply we can immediately provide as we're going to start work there. And we're going to have to ensure that it's adhered to. So that's one of these challenges. Um, And the second way we've done that is we're sort of operating out of more central hubs because the drones have a bit of a bigger range, which means that we don't have to carry as much of those Tricks and sort of problems of operating in a totally rural or village scenario, but more urban, which perhaps you know you have a lot of amenities like cellular and electricity access, etc.
0: When you mentioned before that you had started to talk to people in Gambia, and within a week you had already reached the minister of health, and you already were having discussions, I'm guessing that you would say that the regulators in Gambia have been very open to drones and drone deliveries and what Arda is doing.
1: So I'd say they have very open to work with us. Um, Just sort of an anecdotal quote here. There's, uh, I can't give the specific number, but there's approximately 20 other pending drone projects, not all of them drone delivery, in the Gambia. And many of them are having uh, difficulties being adopted. So I'd say they're very open to what drones provide in the sense, you know, the, the logistical advantages, the impacts they can have on the healthcare outcomes, on public health, vaccination rates. For other projects, maybe, you know, the huge advantage of having a great amount of land surveyed that may not have been surveyed before and high quality for not that big of a price. They appreciate all those benefits and they're very aware of them. They're very educated about this. But the problem is that many of these projects don't have a sort of airspace integration component. They don't have this part where they go, right, we want to be doing this. And here's how we're going to be sharing where the drones are with you guys live. Or this is how this is what we want to do. And here's how we're going to make sure we're adhering to your local regulation and giving you some way to make sure we're actually adhering to what we say we're going to adhere to. And that's, I think, where we noticed that at the very start, and we developed a product we call the ARTA Terminal, which is sort of the airspace integration component of our operation, which gives the regulators and necessary stakeholders live insight into what the drones are doing, where they're doing. And that way, you know, the, it's not sort of purely a, I guess, word of mouth or handshake saying oh yeah we're going to stick to the regulation don't worry about it they can actually see if we're doing so or not and i think that's made it far easier but i'd say they're very very aware of the benefits drones can have and you know, the first thing that they sort of said when we approached it was ah oh, this is like zipline in rwanda this could be great this is so much potential so i think they're very aware and i think if the right solution comes along they're very open to working together with you as opposed to you know trying to sort of counter you or do the sort of uh, gotchas when inspecting your products or your operations
0: comparing between, as you mentioned before, you weren't able to really approach operations in Europe and you weren't really able to approach operations in the US, but Gambia said, sure, let's go for it. So taking a larger look at the regulatory side of things, is there anything that you can see that Gambia is physically doing Mm -hmm. that you would recommend that the FAA and the ESA adopt.
1: I think that well, they, they didn't have this maybe initially, but now they're working on it. A very clear pathway for getting drone projects approved. I think Europe is getting better at this now. But I think in the U.S., if you know, if someone was to simply Google how to do BVLOS operations in the U.S., you wouldn't be able to find a sort of step-by-step bullet point list that was very easy to follow and made sense, and those people were easy to contact. i think in gambia the regulators have been good in that sense that they were very open and shared sort of right this is how we see this happening and it was not reactionary in the sense of we're not constantly giving them a proposal they're going okay cool 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 not reject and then we have to figure out why or what what was wrong it's more of a right this is sort of what we expect if you meet this we're going to permit this and this is purely from a health and safety standpoint because we want this project to work here too. It's going to have a lot of benefit. Our role is to open the airspace for you guys, but ultimately, you know, we just need to meet these standards. I think that's what they've been very good at, which is explaining exactly what you need to do and what you need to adhere to in order to be permitted to fly, which in the US or in Europe, you know, even though there's a lot of stuff you can find, a lot of information you can find, in practice, it often gets very complicated. For example, with the Sora and the CONOPS sort of procedures and how you file them in Europe. There is a lots of ins and outs and, you know, there are people whose full time jobs it is to write those up and basically just go back and forth with the ministry or the civil aviation authority, sending those and arguing over the point of how high above a tree line can the drone fly? Is at 10 meters or is it 12 and is that a higher risk or a low risk? And sure, maybe those points are important, but if there's no standard, if, if that's an important point, you should set a standard for it and say it needs to be this. Because otherwise, it's you know, it's I'd go as far as saying it's not very fair from a legal standpoint if you know you're not saying what's the standard and you're approving one project not the other.
0: And the obvious follow-up question, since you mentioned it, is no one really knows if there is a guide and how to do BV loss operations. So maybe you and I together will write the first one. So why don't you tell me what's you know what's the necessary list of how to do BV loss operations? What do you need?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I can only speak sort of from my experience here. So maybe this isn't going to apply to all drone operations or beyond drone delivery. Um, but I think one of the most important things is categorizing uh, liability, right? Who is liable for the drone at any point? I think that's for regulators, a big sort of point that they, they go, right, this drone is being launched by one person, monitored by another. And there's some third person who's doing, I don't know, whatever, packing the box. Who's liable at each given point, because you know, in the U.S. it's possible that the pilot in command changes during the operation. That's fine, but it has to be identifiable when that happens. So that's very important. I think liability throughout the operation has to be established because ultimately that's what regulators want. Okay, if we admit this, can we at least say, right, it's his fault if something happens, or well, you know, it's this sort of company's fault or her fault for not doing something? And that's I think a key thing that you need to be able to establish liability throughout the operation, throughout the flight. And that has to be very clear. Um, secondly, I mean, I don't have a lot of experience with the direct to consumer deliveries. And I don't think that's a space where drones are going to take off just now in drone delivery. But with the B two B delivery space, um, I think it's very important to classify. You know, what part of the airspace belongs, to, sort of, is up to a given owner of land below it to manage, and what needs to be managed by you know the local air traffic control in the local control zone of the airport. I think there should be a distinction there especially for the landings and takeoff points. So I think that's a very clear thing. And the second, uh, third thing is who do you contact? Um, in Poland, there's an app called Drone Radar, which I think is actually quite good. It sort of requires all pilots to register a phone number. So when they're taking a drone off, someone could contact them if they had a problem with that drone, given, of course, they registered it. I think that's a very important point that there has to be some way that regulators say, right, you have to provide this body with contacts to these people. We're responsible for these and these things. And there has to be some way of in real time, live, seeing what those people are doing, whatever they're responsible for, and contacting them if it's non-compliant or if there's simply some risk that's come out. So I think immediately those would be the sort of points that I'd have.
0: Doesn't that last point, isn't that already being filled by the uh, remote ID regulations, the necessity to have broadcast network or network remote ID on the drones, both by FAA and the ASSA?
1: I think so. But in practice, um, you know, from knowing a lot of drone pilots and knowing a lot of people in this community, I'm not sure how drone manufacturers are adhering to those. And I'm not sure it's being rolled out. There is a standard for it. I agree you said it, but I think there should be something that's a bit more open, especially since, you know, you also have a lot of drone users. I'd say the majority that aren't actually commercial. Right. And for them, this is going to be a more complicated way, I think, of achieving this.
0: I wanted to ask you another question in our conversation before you mentioned that you believe that as a company that does, that is heavily involved in last mile drone delivery, you told me before we started recording that you believe now is the time for drone delivery. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on that a little more.
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, there's two sort of components that you need for, for it to be the time. You need to have it possible, right? Mean, you have a drone that's capable of doing a last mile delivery from A to B and doing it safely and repeatedly. Um, you have a wide variety of them for a different sort of ranges, payloads, but there's also a second component, which is, you know, demand has to be validated, right? For example, 10 or 20 years ago, it may not have been obvious that, you know, people are going to be moving last mile parcels at such a high volume and such a high frequency and expect such quick delivery times. And I think right now, both of those things are very clear. I don't think anyone would, you know, question the need for on-demand and instant delivery. And faster is better. And, you know, all these companies like Amazon, DHL, DoorDash, et cetera, they're all focused on faster and faster services, as well as, you know, in healthcare logistics, right? Everything's going faster, 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 more on-demand. And then drones, of course, are ready. And I think people are seeing that now more than ever. Um, when COVID, drones had, I think, a pretty big spotlight with, you know, the ability to sort of carry samples and distribute samples or tests without contacting, you know, having a human contact, the sick individual or the potentially sick individual and people saw, wow, this could actually be useful. And that's, I think, is a very important component here that for it to be the time for drone delivery right now, a big share of the population in these places are going to have to agree with that. They're going to have to go, yeah, drone is useful. I can see that being the case and I've seen it be useful there or in that use case. And I think we're at that very exciting time right now where we've got the technology ready. The use cases are pretty clear. Maybe some particular details of them, not so much yet, but the general use cases are clear. And I think the majority of people can definitely see how it's useful. And if it was to be implemented safely in a way that doesn't invade on their privacy too much, would be very open to it, in my opinion. So I think that's why now is a super exciting time to be doing this. And that's what motivated us to go full time on this.
0: And on a related question, uh, in your bio, you mentioned that you went through the Harvard Innovations Lab startup incubator in order Mm -hmm. to get ARDA off the ground. And the question here is, were the people at Harvard as interested and did they believe in the future of drones and drone delivery as much as you did? Were they happy to work with you or was there some uh, pushback?
1: I think that there is um, there's sort of two categories of people. I'd say there's one category who sort of heard of Amazon trying to do it eight years ago or whatever it was, haven't seen it since, and they sort of they see it as a fad that passed that had its time and didn't come into fruition. And those people, of course, aren't too excited by new delivery uh, models in the drone delivery world or new drones. And there's a second type of person who sees it as a sort of right. You know, the Amazon had a go at it, Google Wings having a go at it. Now is the time where innovation is going to be peaking and they're super excited to see someone working in this space and they think this is going to be the future. And now is, you know, in 10 years time. So this is a phrase I heard. and I really liked it, which is in 10 years, if someone was going into the Harvard iLab and saying they want to do a drone delivery startup, that'd be like now someone going and say, oh, yeah, I want to manufacture commercial airliners or, I want to go into the, you know, uh, taxi industry, right? It's like, yeah, your, your time's passed. That that was now, right? And I think that's how it was received. But there isn't actually a lot of people working on it. I think in our cohort, at least, and the one after it, I think we're the only one working in the drone space in general, not just drone delivery.
0: Following up on that, as you mentioned, if 10 years from now somebody comes in, I'd like to finish with the question that I ask all of my guests is where you see the future of the drone industry, of drone delivery, of BVDOS, two, five, 10 years from now, where do you see the industry itself headed?
1: I think that if we can assume similar growth rates and sort of trends in how technology is being developed, as we're seeing now, which is, you know, insane increase in cellular technologies and capabilities and internet speeds, coverage around the world, uh, technologies like L sites and, you know, Starlink's coming out. That's definitely going to be a big enabler. The fact that people are going to be more aware of it and that drones are only going to get better, of course, with time, the more R&D goes into it, they're only going to get cheaper, the bigger the scale of manufacturing is. I think there's a very, very big future for drone delivery and drones in general, because ultimately it's a pretty amazing tool, right? It's the closest thing, you know, you have to sort of snapping your fingers and something appearing somewhere else, right? And no car is ever going to be able to go quicker to a drone uh, through a city, across a difficult patch of terrain. Um, and it's never going to be able to do it cheaper from an energy standpoint either. It's just bigger and it's not that efficient. And I think that um, drones are inevitable, especially drone delivery is inevitable. It's just a case of how long it takes. And I think within 10 years, it'll definitely be that time. Because I think right now what's happening is we're figuring out, right, how are we going to adopt this in regulation? Where to sort of find details? How are we going to classify these drones? or you know How does the final bit of the delivery look like? But all of these de- are details. The core is here. And I think in 10 years' time, we'll have a world where we'll have drone deliveries happening. You know, Everyone will be familiar with it. Everyone will have seen a drone fly over their head pretty much every day. Um, not hear it, I think. Big uh, shift in technology there, even zip lines recently. And I think that with BV loss operations, they'll be normalized to a very big extent. And I think like with all technologies, you know, um, regulation is responsive. It doesn't really predict technology. And I think that right now we're at the stage where regulators are going right? There are people who can do loss safely. There's technologies that enable it to happen very safely, safer than some VLOS operations, I'd argue, and you know, low visibility. And we have to now enable that to happen. And I think that that's what regulators are doing. So I see a very, very positive and shiny future for drone delivery all around the world. And I think it's going to start in places like Africa, places where the impact is great, in industries like you know healthcare, where the impact is very, very great. And it's going to so diffuse across to pretty much every other realm of moving things or inspecting and flying over areas.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. I want to thank you for joining me today on the podcast. It was great having you.
1: Thank you very much, Ben. I appreciate it.
0: And I want to thank everyone for listening in and I'll catch you on the next episode of Drone Source.
1: Bye, everybody. This
0: podcast is brought to you by ElSight. LSight helps drone companies operate beyond the visual line of sight, overcome regulatory challenges, and scale business through integrated connectivity solutions. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in our next episode of Drone
1: Source.